You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon studs and stud ads. This is Coach Brett with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. All right, this show is really, really cool because we have something special. We have the 20 things that you should know that happened at Kona, the Ironman World Championships 2016. And this is because you probably know 5, 10, maybe most of this list, but I really doubt it that you know everything on this list of the details, the nerdy stuff that happened both in front and behind the scenes And I'm a bit of a triathlon nerd, if you haven't noticed. And there's lots of important stuff that happened that will be important coming down the line, that will be brought up in the future, and also things that will help you become a better triathlete when you race. There's a bunch of things on this list of things to notice. And yeah, so I brought them out here, out in front, so we can talk about them. And then, let's see, we're going to do some triathlon news. And also, I've got a little bit of the training log where I take you with me training And I think that's how we're going to do this show, this episode. So let's go ahead and get started with the triathlon news. Here we go. All right. As we get going, we should mention that the news is brought to us by Salt Stick, a great electrolyte company. I'll have a discount code at the end of this. But let's go ahead and mention these two races that have significant changes. Uh, Ironman North Carolina, which I believe used to be the beach to battleship race, Ironman bought it i think and yeah, it's got a little bit of a problem there's a lot of flooding from a hurricane and the bike course is shortened by a lot by 62 miles i think anyway the bike course is now 50 miles yeah that really sucks there's some really pissed off people there's no really not not much you can do about it and you really can't complain too much because yeah your race got messed up But also, there's a lot of people who've been flooded out of their houses and stuff like that. So, just got to kind of deal with it and go with the flow. Uh, Ironman has developed programs where you can move races. uh, You can get insurance on races if something happens. Uh, There's uh, different ways to, uh, to remedy this. I coach somebody that is going to do his own self supported Ironman. He thinks he is, he's in the process of planning it. because he feels like he's getting uh, not the full Ironman experience. I mean, that's significantly shorter. It's usually a 112-mile bike ride. Now that's down to 50. Uh, still the full swim, full bike ride, or uh, full uh, marathon. But he's going to do a self-supported Ironman two weeks later. That'll be really cool. Let's see if he uh, if he does it. Um, I'm helping him out, plan it, planning it. And, and if he does it, let's uh, get him on the show and say what it was like. That would be pretty cool. All right, let's see. We have Vineman. Okay, Vineman looks like it's moving. Um, this is a long-running Ironman in Northern California in the wine country. That's why they call it Vineman, and it's being moved. It looks like I don't think it's a 100% finished deal, but to Santa Rosa, California, and I think Santa Rosa has a big history with cycling events. So I don't know if this is a good thing or bad thing. If people are upset about it, I couldn't really tell. It's just a thing. 
All right, we have Andrew Starkowitz. He, he's got some problems. He not only was hit by a van earlier this year and injured really badly out on a training ride, but he has a, um, a just a, a little baby of a, of a son. I, I forgot the age of Alex. I think it's Alexander. And, I mean, like less than a year. I don't, I don't know how old he is. But anyway, he... Um, the baby is in the hospital with uh, breathing problems, and Starkey even had to. Uh, and oh, by the way, Andrew Starkowitz is like the fastest North American Ironman athlete. He's like legendary, uh, crazy intense racer. He was on Zentri this podcast uh, f- half a year ago, a few months ago. Anyway, um, you go back and listen to that episode. The dude is intense, and he's uh, rightfully one of the best Ironmans out there. And he, um, his, this baby has uh, been in the hospital, maybe still in the hospital, but the bills are crazy. So they've started a GoFundMe page, and actually it wasn't even him, it was his aunt. I think he's kind of modest and doesn't want to ask for help. Um, but let's help him. Uh, he's got a GoFundMe page, they're trying to raise money, and you can go donate. I'm going to put a link to it on, uh, on the Zentri website, zentrathlon.com. And you can go there and find the GoFundMe page and help donate. So um, the reason I'm mentioning this is my own son, when he was born, was born two and a half months early and was in the hospital for two of those months on a caffeine drip and in one of the clear incubator boxes. And so I've been there, and I had to miss my first Ironman. This is kind of like the North Carolina thing. Um because I just couldn't go do an Ironman when all this is going on. And I went off and did my own Ironman on my own, uh, self-supported, to um, after everything had settled down, to uh, prove how much I would help my son <laughs> if somebody would let me. The nurses just want the dads to stay out of the way, and um, the mom needs to bank uh, breast milk, and the, uh, and the mom especially needs to go visit the baby. The dad can visit the baby some, but you also need to not visit the baby too much because it needs to be in a sterile environment so it doesn't get sick. And uh, Kai himself, which you hear every once in a while on the podcast now, he's 12. Uh, he had the chest strap on to monitor his heart. One time his heart uh, stopped, he stopped breathing and his heart, his heart stopped beating. And I had to um, smack him. He started turning blue and I had to smack him on the, uh, the feet, I think to get them to, uh, to start breathing again. And that's why you do a caffeine drip because it keeps them alert enough where they won't stop breathing. It's an, it's called apnea, AP apnea. And yeah, so that kind of sucks. And we're going to help out Starkey and throw a little money his way. And, um, that's the whole story right there. So go to zentrathlon.com and look for that link. And there's way more about the story and photos and stuff like that. What's going on? Uh, power tap, which is my favorite, uh, power meter company. They've released one-sided pedals, so you can um, move uh, your power meter, so you get your watts uh, from one bike to another really easily, and you don't have to do both pedals. You can just get one pedal. It's just under 700 bucks, and its PowerTap pedals are rated the most uh, zen, highly recommended, easiest to use uh, way to get power on your bike. Um, by dcrainmaker.com, and uh, when he recommends something, he does his he does his uh, homework. So you got to check that out. All right, uh, in all bike news, 
mostly uh, cycling, regular cycling here. UCI, uh, which is the ruling body over professional cycling, cycling you know, like um, the Tour de France and the classics, you know, the, what, what you see on TV most of the time. And they, for a while, took away uh, disc brakes off of the uh, road bikes because there was a little bit of fear that somebody was going to get cut up by them because disc brakes do have sharp edges, but is somebody actually going to get cut by them? I mean, lots of things have sharp edges in cycling. The, the chain rings have teeth <laughs> when you think about it. So are these things really going to hurt anybody? There was one accident, and it wasn't even proven that it was um, that, that was the cause of somebody getting cut. Um, so, But anyway, after that accident, um, after all this racing, one person... Uh, uh, got injured enough where they were kind of concerned. And so they pulled it, the use of, of uh, disc brakes and road bikes. And they, um, after doing a little bit of review, they're back to saying, okay, January 1, we're going to allow disc brakes. It's called the disc brake retrial to begin and in road events and the big change is, and this, man, this, these people, it's just so mind boggling that they don't do this. That this wasn't done from the beginning. It's so simple. The, if you look at disc brakes, the edges are sharp, um, but they're not thin sharp. They're kind of thin. They're sharp, but they're still like a millimeter thick, right? So it's a millimeter thick and then a sharp edge on each side of the millimeter. It's kind of squared off. And Smart people, engineering types, have been saying for a year, two years, three years, I don't know, however long, saying just take a grinder or when you make the, um, when you make the discs, grind off the edge. It, will aff- it won't affect the, um, round the edges. It won't affect the braking performance whatsoever when they make these things, round off the edges, it's so simple. What is the problem? Why can't people figure this out? And then it can't cut anybody. So what's, you know, come on, let's do this. All right. So look for that January 1st and look for rounded edges on your bike and, uh, on your disc brakes on your bike and see if that's uh, going your way. All right. Another thing is moves count, which is Sunto's product. Um, and I've got, a, I've got a Sunto watch that they sent me. I've been testing it out. You can uh, find me on moves count. A lot of times I tweet, from uh, Zen Triathlon on Twitter. I tweet my moves. I tweeted a swim this morning. I swam continuously for an hour and uh, with my Sunto Spartan uh, Ultra watch that I had on and uh, used can and oh man, it was really kick-ass. I swam bilateral freestyle for an hour. Uh, nonstop, 4,100 yards. It was so cool. And just cruising along trying to figure out um, like the most efficient stroke and all that. Um, but Moves Count is their website. So, you know, like Garmin has Garmin Connect. I'm trying to, Polar might have Polar Flow, I think. But anyway, um, Moves Count is their online site. When you upload your data from your Sunto, it goes there. Well, they've added coaching. Thank God. It's about time, man. I'm so excited. You can actually start coaching somebody else or look for a coach if you have a Sunto watch. So, if you have a Sunto watch, I'm actually registered in there as a coach. I went and registered myself, and uh, you can find me in there. So go check that out. That's kind of cool. That's a that makes the news because that's a shift, you know, in how they're handling things. Now, um, I think these companies, 
ought to do, not only do they offer coaching so somebody can coach other athletes, they integrate with a payment system like PayPal. And um, you can set up recurring payments uh, to people through the coaching platform instead of, I know of one other coaching platform that did that. Oh, I, can't, I can't remember the name of it. But it didn't have all the tools and stuff. I used Training Peaks mostly. And it didn't have all those tools. So uh, that's what went back to Training Peaks. But anyway, the uh, coaches are good at coaching. They're not good at billing. <laughs> Nobody's good at billing or, or paying. And if you implement it into the coaching system, then it's all taken care of. And, um, and then that company could take 1% off the top or 5% off the top for handling. And they make money. I don't understand why they don't do this. Somebody tell me why. And let's see, we have Uberman. So this is the race that I was going to do. And after Ironman Canada, when I had so much trouble on the run because my feet were just smashed with plantar fasciitis, I decided to bail. It sucked sending them that email going, man, I'm just not doing it. They, um, they're underway. So first, swim the Catalina Channel. 21 miles, I think. 21 miles. Open ocean. <laughs> Shark-infested insanity. I think there's eight people that, that are uh, doing it and we'll get an update on it. Next episode, we'll talk about it. Swam across, swim across the Catalina channel, then bike 400 miles, I think to death Valley. And then and you can sleep when, you know, whatever you want, you need a crew, all this cool stuff. And then uh, run the Badwater 135 run course from the bottom of death Valley, almost to the top of Mount Whitney which is one of the tallest mountains in North America. And yeah, that thing's crazy. It's, uh, I calculated at least like five days to do this thing. And um, they are probably on day two or three. And who knows how long everybody's going to take. So look for that. They have a website, uberman1, number one, uh, dot com. Go check it out. And next episode, we'll have an update about uh, how it went down. And I think that's it in all the triathlon news. Brought to you by Salt Stick. So Salt Stick is my endurance. What do you want to call it, man? Oh man, <laughs> electrolyte. I keep wanting to say salt because I say Salt Stick. I was gonna say my electrolyte of choice because it's so simple. It comes in capsules that you can actually pop open. So you can half a capsule, one capsule. You can uh, put the entire capsule into water. A lot of times I do that. I open up the capsule and open it. And put it into, I'll do like, I'll make a three-hour fuel bottle for a long bike ride. And I'll put three capsules in there. And uh, I just open up the capsule and dump out the electrolyte in there. And then um, and then add my Gatorade or Ucan or whatever I'm using. Maple syrup. And it's uh, super, super convenient. They make a dispenser thing that I saw on several bikes during the uh, Kona footage. And you twist it. It's almost like a Pez dispenser. You twist it and a uh, salt stick capsule comes out. That would be really cool. I wonder if you could modify a Pez dispenser to um, to push out a salt stick capsule. That would be pretty cool. Because then you could have like Daffy Duck or Darth Vader or Chewy. <laughs> the Green Lantern, you know, out there. And you just pull it out of your pocket and take pop a... Uh, salt stick capsule and they make a whole bunch of other stuff too and you should go check it out at their website 25% off anything you order off their website with discount code zentry25 and that is the website called shopsaltstick.com again 25% off and oh man their electrolytes are actually really cool because it's I look I found this chart 
where it shows what their electrolytes made out of and it and I mean almost down to the micron the micron it it uh, emulates uh, human sweat so what you sweat out it puts back in and then it shows like this other uh, the other uh, big um, uh, companies on, on what you know theirs is and they are way off on you know the magnesium and the potassium and uh, salt stick is like right on the dot it's so cool on how close they are and uh yeah so salt stick uh shop saltstick.com um in the united states you can get the 25 percent off but you can get salt stick anywhere else in the united in the world um if you go to just the regular website saltstick.com and use their store locator button and i think we're not they have stores in 30 countries so this it's a big deal it's used by triathletes and uh, endurance athletes and uh, ultra runners and stuff all around the world. It's super, 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 super convenient stuff, and it just works. I use about one an hour, I think. I've tried two, and I haven't really decided if I'm up to two, but I do about one an hour, and it seems to uh, go down just right. A lot of people, you know, use a whole lot more than that. Okay, let's see. Y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? <laughs> We're going to do. The 20 biggest things that you should know that happened at Kona. And actually, I made a list, and it ended up being 21 or 22, and I, I uh, squished a couple of them together to make it a nice, even number. So after I name off this list, I want people to um, message me uh, and say whether or not uh, they knew every single thing on this list. And, uh, or how close you got. And then you can just tweet at me and say, uh, you can do like hashtag Kona list. And also if there was something on here that you think is really significant that everybody needs to know, uh, tweet, tweet me and I might mention it in the next episode. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? All right. First, number one, pre-race. I got this organized in the pre-race, swim, bike, run, and then the finish line. Pre-race, um, there was a bunch of crazy bikes uh, the days leading up to the race. Released from Diamondback, uh, Cervelo, Cannondale, uh, Cube, for example. Um, those first three, Diamondback, Cervelo, and Cannondale, all had disc brakes on their triathlon bikes. And this causes like a frenzy of panic amongst uh, the nerdiest of the aero geeks out there in triathlon because there's a theory, it's just assumed that disc brakes are slower because they it looks like they have more drag uh, in the air because they're bigger, you know, it's this disc, two discs hanging out in the wind and people are kind of like, no, no. But then there's a... Um, there's a, uh, a study that Slow Twitch did, or they found, that said it was uh, um, neither way. It's not more less arrow or more arrow. So it just kind of depends, as everything does in uh, triathlon. Um, but the, the the panic comes from, oh my gosh, if I want a high-end tri bike, I say you don't like disc brakes on your tri bike. You don't want them. You don't need them. You live where it's doesn't rain tons and it's not super hilly so you don't really need disc brakes on your bike on your tri bike and you're kind of like I don't want these things on my bike well if that's what comes on the high end bikes 
and you want a high-end bike, you're kind of stuck with it. And that's where the, um, the frenzy and the panic is coming from. So you need to know that these things might be coming your way. We'll see how the uh, community digests all this stuff. Okay, let's see. We have alleged, number two, alleged confrontational behavior uh, before the race at the starting line involving Harry Wiltshire, who is a professional male, and uh, other athletes. And this is alleged. I still haven't seen anything beyond this. But people, words were said. I don't know if things body, body contact was made, but words were said apparently at the beach. And this will come up here in a second um, about why this is important. Okay, number three, the um, swim was uh, pretty uh, uneventful. And then, except for uh, the coolest thing was um, the uh, cutoff at the end. Everybody made the cutoff. They have, I forgot what the cutoff is. But I think the last person in was a lady and... I don't know. She looked like she was 50-something. And she um, came in, uh, and you've got to see this on the video. Uh, Iron Man played the video all day, and then I'm sure you're going to be able to see you know, full on YouTube. And um, her bowing and waving at the crowd and her happiness and kissing at the crowd and everything is awesome. you got to go see it. So the, uh, the video footage of that. And then also the um, the fact that everybody made the swim cutoff is actually really cool. Isn't that impressive? Uh, that hardly ever happens. And then, let's see, number four. The swim, for everybody else, seemed relatively uneventful. But if you look closely at the swim video footage, there is excessive contact going on between the three, four guys at the end. And one of them is Harry Wiltshire. And another one of them is Jan Ferdinho. And that will come back up here again at the end of our list of 20. So pay attention to that. Okay, file that one away. Number five. The bike uh, ride was um, windy, but not terribly windy. And uh, towards the end, the heat and humidity did look pretty serious. And here are the numbers for you. At one point, it was 89 degrees and 60% humidity, which is pretty freaking brutal. But that's pretty typical for Kona. So when people say, the thing to know is when people say, it was really windy, much more windier than usual. No, it wasn't. Well, it was a really calm day. No, it was kind of an average uh, medium day. And and then the, the fact it was really hot there towards the end. And then, let's see, number six, Heather Wortel and Jody Swallow were on the new Cervelo P5X, which is this uh, the new Cervelo with disc brakes and no seat post tube. And it's crazy. It's like a beam bike. And um, not only were they on it, you can see video footage of them on it while they're racing. Um, eight pros were on that new Cervelo pretty interesting. Eight different pros. And the reason I brought this up is because somebody was asking, I didn't see anybody on that bike. Nope. There was eight. Cervelo came up and said, no, we had eight people racing on that bike. Okay. Number seven is who had the highest 
average watts of the bike ride. Who do you think it was? Was it the guy that went the fastest, Jan Ferdino? No, it was Lionel Sanders. 300 watts plus a little bit extra here and there because they sometimes they average up a point or two for normalized power, like 302. And uh, the thing to learn here is just because you have high, high watts, uh, watts doesn't beat arrow. You need to be arrow first and then have the watts follow that. Um, I don't know what John Ferdinand's was, uh, but Lionel Sanders um, had the highest watts, but not the fastest bike split. I don't even think he was, uh, of course he's awesome, but I don't think it was uh, that very much that close to a yawn. And let's see, number eight, somebody said they went way too fast on the uh, the bike, on the first half of the bike portion, and that person was Jesse Thomas. There's a video out there uh, with him being interviewed after the race, and actually he's been on Zen Tri Podcast too, and he said... Um, because of the environment and uh, the race is so exciting and you get so caught up in things that uh, he went out too hard at the beginning and um, I don't know if he ever said he went out too hard, but he was just saying what he did and he said that he averaged higher than his half Ironman watts by the first half of the bike and a full Ironman and he said after that he... um, he was just trying to hang on, and I guess he kind of blew up a little bit, but he still wanted to, it was his first time racing at um, Hawaii, and he wanted to uh, finish the race, so he went and finished the race, and just kind of stuck in there and finished it out. Okay, number nine. Oh, wait, I want to go back to number eight. This is really important. This whole thing where people get caught up in uh, keeping up with everybody else because they think they need to, is very destructive to your own race. And this is a very good example. If Jesse had um, stuck to his power meter numbers, no matter what, um, he probably would have had a much better race, probably. And um, instead of going too fast and then blowing up and then going really slower than he wanted to for the rest of the race. And that comes up again, actually, here in a bit with somebody else. And let's see, number nine, Andy Potts crashed on the dismount of the bike. It's hard to see. The video footage is him on the ground, already on the ground when the, when the cameras pan to him and him uh, sitting there and trying to get back up. And he looks like he took one hell of a wreck. Now, what's interesting is he was the guy that was on the Cannondale before the race, the day before the race, riding around days before the race uh, on a new Cannondale model with disc brakes, a tri bike with disc brakes. And then on race day, he did not ride that Cannondale. He rode his old bike with uh, regular regular caliper brakes. Now the finish area for the bike, you know, you get off your bike and you hand your bike off to somebody else. You're probably doing a flying dismount. And the ground looked like it was wet. And so just, you know, kind of a unfortunate uh, area to be trying to slow down on your bike. The big question is, would he have not crashed if he was on a bike with disc brakes? <laughs> would he have had more control over his braking? Because that's the thing that disc brakes do. They're, uh, one, they're usually more powerful. But two, you can modulate how much pressure you're applying to the brake and not lock up your brakes uh, way better than um, than other kind of brakes. And I mean, that's why disc brakes are kind of uh, mandatory on the front of cars, at least. I don't know if they are in trucks, 
but disc brakes um, because they work so much better and not locking up your car tires and then you skidding all over the place and then crashing. All right, number 10, uh, Andy Potts posted a video where he uh, explained how his race went and he apologized for not doing as good as he wanted to. Um, and he gave a shout out to his sponsors and he comes across as a really good guy. And you ought to check out that video if you haven't seen it yet. You're, it'll make your heart kind of go out to Andy and go, God dang it. <laughs> so that's number 10. Number 11, we're back to Andy Potts again, is that he had, it's, it's this wreck sucks because the, the wreck at the end of the bike ride, I mean, he took a wallop of a hit and this has happened to me too. Um, I've taken a wreck and a half iron man about a mile, maybe half a mile from the finish line. And, um, it just ruins your run. You're just damaged and, uh, you can't run like you want to. Everything hurts. You're, you're shaking up. Um, you're kind of in shock a little bit. You're, you're checking all your wounds and, um, it really freaking hurts. And, um, that damaged his run for sure. And that sucks because he had made huge improvements over the past year or two actually, uh, with different stuff. And it looked like this year he'd finally done what a lot of people have, um, recommended he do, uh, on his, on his bike and for his aerodynamics. If you look a couple years ago, he had gator skins on his bike and like, uh, shoes that were like with, I haven't seen the shoes personally, but apparently the shoes had a ton of drag, like stuff hanging off of them that caused a lot of aero drag. And uh, the nerds over at Slow Twitch did a bunch of calculations and figured out that the um, the Gator Skin tires and the other stuff that uh, was unaerodynamic was added up to about seven minutes of drag. And um, guess how much he, he was behind first place that year? Six minutes. <laughs> if he didn't up theoretically. He would have been at the front um, if he hadn't had all that uh, extra drag on his bike uh, and did his bike set up differently, according to what the uh, super geeks over at slowtwitch.com suggested and, and what and the way most pros do it. And so this year he had invested in his, all his time and everything and doing it right. And then he has that crash and then it uh, ruins his uh, run. And then I, I forgot, I think maybe, is he the one that got 11th? Anyway. Um, didn't do anywhere near as good as, uh, as he was hoping for. Okay. Number 12 on the run. Let's move to the run for real. Um, in the video footage, if you look closely, there is a very short scene where Ferdinho and Keenley are running together right after coming out of the transition area. And they are, uh, they're both German. Did you know that? And they are talking in German back and forth to each other. And I would like somebody to have uh, that can read lips and also um, speaks German to tell us what they were saying to each other as they're running there. Were they like, "Yeah, this is like the Iron War," you know, or whatever they say? And then, uh, what, what do pro triathletes winning the world, the world's hardest Ironman, uh, say to each other when they're in the front jogging next to each other? And, yeah, look for that footage of them doing that. They're smiling and talking, uh, and they can't believe it that they're together like that. And then um, the run goes on for a while, and, uh, of course, and then um, they're like that for a while during the run. And then the run gets difficult as it starts to go uphill, and eventually Ferdinho uh, starts to gap 
and drop uh, Keenley. All right, number 13, Patrick Lange, or Lang, is the L-A-N-G-E, is the uh, other German, and I think he got third. Anyway, he came off the bike way behind, I don't know how much way, but he got he came off the bike uh, quite a bit behind those other two guys, and because he had time penalties. All right, so what happened? Uh, I don't know if it was drafting or what, but he got... Uh, and I don't know how long he had to stand down, like four minutes, three minutes, seven minutes. But anyway, it was several, multiple minutes, and he had to stand down along with a whole bunch of other guys. And while he was in the tent, um, I think it was Andreas Rayler told him just to calm down and to take his time and that uh, uh, everything will be all right. Iron Man's a long day and stuff. And um, then Patrick Lang got out on that run course and ran the fastest run split of the day. <laughs> and um, let's see, he was only, he was hoping for at best fifth place, but 15th place if he did like his typical kind of race time and race efforts. The best he was expecting was 15th or fifth, fifth probably 15th. And he ended up getting third. Now, we have a theory that it's because of the um, uh, the time penalty. When you get a time penalty and you stand down, it takes you out of the back and forth at the front. And in the interview with him, he said he was at the front going back and forth and back and forth, trying to stay at the front and rotating in and out. And they got to be really careful that they don't get busted for drafting, which actually he did, if that's what it was. And um, it's it's exhausting being up there. And then the person interviewing him said that, um, you know, you might have had such a great run because of your time penalty. You got forced to stand down. And then because you stood down, it took you out of that front dynamic of surging back and forth, which really is overreaching, underreaching, overreaching, underreaching. And it's exhausting. And it makes you blow up, kind of like we were talking about Jesse Thomas. And the... Um, and then, because he said, then after that, he got back on his bike and he was so many minutes behind, he just rode his own pace, you know, I think by according to his watts that he should ride. And he just kept it even. And then, um, and then he had this miracle of a, of a run, right? And uh, so the person interviewing him said, did you, um, have you ever heard of that? You know, or what do you think that that, um, that that being pulled out of the front pack by accident, by forced to stand down, actually helped you have a better race overall. And he said, well, I've never heard of that. <laughs> and I was sitting there reading that going, uh, yeah, dude, a lot of people know that. But he's the other thing is he's new to triathlon, which we will get to in a minute. Um, because number 14, you ought to know first, is he ran the marathon in 2.39. 239.45, I think, was his uh, was his run time. And that was the fastest run beating the course record set by Mark Allen himself back in 1989. It's looking at like 26, 27-year-old um, record. It's taken this long to beat it. Two hours and 39 minutes, 45 seconds. That's number 14. 
Uh, number 15 is, did you know that that old runtime of Mark Allen, let's say it's 239.50 or, or 2.40 flat or whatever it is, um, that, those, that old runtime includes transitions. That's right. Back when that runtime was set, they didn't do the, transi- the transitions separately. Your runtime included your transition from the bike to the run, which is an extra two minutes. So actually, in a weird way, Patrick Lang probably didn't break the the uh, run record of two thirty by you know, of two forty or whatever it was, um, because the real run record might be two thirty eight. <laughs> and um, but you know that's the record that's officially in the record book, so that's what they're going with. Um, and um, uh, Mark Allen was there at the finish line and uh, was very professional about it and just. He didn't mention it. Um, a lot of people don't know it, but now you do. That the run record that was broken uh, might actually be uh, two minutes faster than what you think it is. Should be two minutes faster than what you think it is, but nobody seems to care. So no one's uh, no one's got uh, an issue with it. So we're just gonna roll with it. All right. The other crazy thing is that which is number sixteen, Patrick Lang has never done a full Ironman before. The Hawaii Ironman, where he got third, <laughs> the World Championships, where he beat Mark Allen's runtime, was his first ever full Ironman. And you got to be going, how in the world did he get into this race without even doing a full Ironman? Well, his first full Ironman was Ironman Texas back in the spring. And Ironman Texas got cut short due to flooding, just like Ironman North Carolina, I think by like 10 miles or something. I forgot, uh, maybe 20 miles or something like that. But they had bike route problems. And so the race was actually short. It wasn't a full Ironman. It was dang close, but it wasn't a full Ironman. And it's enough to make a difference. Um, It was a bit. And so this was his first ever full Ironman. Isn't that crazy? So that was number 16. Number 17, at the finish line, Jan Ferdino gave the best finishing speech I have seen in a long time at this race. And every pro ought to watch this. And every every anybody ought to watch this to, um, to get tips, pointers on how to give a thank you speech or, or a... Uh, 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 finish line speech because he turned it more into a thank you speech and uh, he said I'd like to thank the people of the island for letting us hold our race here um, I'd like to thank my sponsors and he gave credit to other people it was very professional very eloquent very nice and um, very cool to watch so watch for that finish line speech by Jan Ferdino it's really cool that's number 17 number 18 um, at the finish line, you can tell that Sebastian Keenley is pissed off. <laughs> You're like, why is he so mad? Is he mad at Jan for beating him? No, he's actually mad at himself. Uh, you can tell that Sebastian is like really big into, I mean, of course he is. He wants to win, and he didn't win, but he doesn't have anybody to blame but himself because 
he raced really, really, really well. If he wants to beat Jan Ferdino, Sebastian just needs to be faster, and that's up to him. He's got all the coaching. He's got all the you know. He's got all the resources. He's got everything at his disposal to be disposal to be a um, to be the best. So it's just up to him. You can tell he's just mad at himself. He <laughs> he's a uh, just like ah. And the um, I think he was four minutes back on the swim and the uh, at the finish of the swim. So um, that's one where that's one place where uh, he might want to throw. Uh, some effort in there. Uh, third place female, uh, Heather Jackson. This is really, really crazy. Um, she took some awesome selfies and, uh, she got, (laughs) that's how you celebrate. They said there's a thing worth like, um, the happiest person at the, uh, at the Olympics isn't the person that won. Um, sometimes it's the person that won gold. Silver medalist is, is mad, just like uh, Ferdinand or uh, Sebastian, um, because they were so close to getting first. But uh, the bronze medalist is usually the happiest because they're just happy to be on the podium at all. And there's such a distance between them and first because they're second there that um, they don't really see themselves as should have gotten first. Uh, they just they're just happy to even be there, so they really celebrate in the moment, and that's what exactly Heather Jackson was doing, taking selfie pictures of herself up there with Daniela Reef and uh, um, Rennie, and who got second, and it's just really really cool her um, her attitude, and I think uh, she is the first American female to be on the podium in like 10 years or something like that. So that's a, um, that's another thing. We grouped that together. Uh, 19 is you got to see Heather Jackson selfies. And also, uh, she's the first female in, in 10 years, first American female in 10 years to be up on the podium. And then, uh, number 20, this one's weird. Remember at the beginning when we said there was some altercations of some sort with uh, Harry Wiltshire at the uh, beach uh, before the race, um, and then also, if you look closely during the end of the swim, there seems to be some arm contact between uh, some of the pros at the end. And then remember how I said Ferdino uh, gave like the most eloquent professional speech. Well, this is 180 degrees from that. <laughs> uh, much later, he's um, sitting down. I guess maybe in like the recovery tent or maybe you know a celebration area. And he's kind of sitting there. Somebody's interviewing him um, and asking, this is all on video, asking how the race went and stuff. And, and Jan's talking. And then he goes, but hold on. I just want to say something. And then he turns to the camera. He said, Harry Wiltshire, you're a prick. And he wasn't smiling. Like, he's really pissed off. You're a prick. And you know what I'm talking about or something like that. And then turns back to the camera and uh, says, uh, okay, let's go on with the interview. And then the interview just keeps on going. And the whole question is like, dude. Hey, reporter, ask what the hell that was about. So through the rumor mill, a lot of people have figured out what was going on is that allegedly Harry Wiltshire uh, was making arm contact over and over and over again and hitting um, Ferdino and maybe other people uh, uh, while swimming. And it's kind of a tactic when you do um, race swimming is you elbow for room a little bit to get people, you know, to... Um, to give you some space, 
But at the same time, uh, it's considered unsportsmanlike conduct to block somebody, to like kind of force somebody off course a little bit, to try to not, you're not giving yourself safe space anymore or trying to get somebody off of you. You're trying to divert them to make them swim farther and to give you an advantage because now you've kind of blocked them out. Kind of like in basketball where you can turn around and start blocking somebody just by kind of leaning into them and try to force them away from the basket. Um, This is kind of what apparently might have been going on. And you would say, oh, you know, how can you prove that or whatever? Except there's a pattern here where Harry Wiltshire got um, suspended from racing for a while, uh, I don't know, like a couple of years ago, uh, for doing that, for doing that same thing exactly, for real, by by the governing board of uh, World Triathlon or something. But um, yeah, and the thing that drives that makes me wonder is like, uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna do something like that. This race, more than any other race, is all recorded on video. So if you think you're gonna do something questionable, and um, it's people later aren't gonna be able to go back and look at it, it's on video. So don't do anything like that. And then again, that's just uh, one person's side of the story. There's other people that come forward and say, "Hey, Harry's like a really cool guy. I can't imagine he would do that." So that's kind of up for you to kind of figure out on your own uh, whether or not you think that is. Uh, true, but do know that it's unsportsmanlike conduct, number 20, (laughs) it's unsportsmanlike conduct to purposefully block somebody from uh, the fastest course uh, during the swim. Cool? All right, so that is it for your big 20 list. Send me a note, uh, Zentrathlon on Twitter, if there was something I missed, or if you got all 20, you knew all 20 of these things, or... Um, if you knew most of them or how far you were off, if you knew like almost none of these and you're like, holy crap, now I knew way more about what happened at the race, send me a note too. I'd be uh, glad to know that I filled people in on some interesting data. All right, let's continue on with the show with uh, some emails from people asking questions and a little bit of uh, listener support. Here we go. All right, we are back. Let's move on with the show donations and emails and all kinds of good stuff. First one is from Ali Diaz. This is a really good one. She, uh, oh man, she wrote a lot. So we have, is it a she? Is it a guy? Ali could be either, uh, either or. So let's see. Um, we have, so just wanted to email you and let you know that I have been listening to your podcast since June and I love it. I have been doing triathlon set since September 2014, my first being a 70.3, and that is the only distance I have done three 70.3s. Hey, that's cool. Until Ironman Chattanooga. So I signed up for I Am Chew, Chattanooga Chew Chew, uh, full and really wanted to get this race right as it was my first full distance. A little side story my granddad was a train engineer and lived in Nashville and other places, but right near there, and took me as a kid to Chattanooga uh, to go look at the big train station. It's a big deal in the train world. It used to take me to the train yard, and the uh, Chattanooga is all about that. Anyway, uh, I listened to you and absorbed as much of your advice and knowledge as I could soak up. I listened on my way to and from work, on long drives, for business trips, dot, dot, dot. Basically, if I was in my car, you were in my ear and head, exclamation point. So... After taking your advice through the past three months, I applied a lot of your practices. 
I used them in training and think they played out awesome during my race. First off, the math method, math, M-A-F, method for running. Love it. Started, oh, people go Google that, M-A-F method for endurance, uh, Phil Maffetone. Uh, started that in July, and I think that is what saved me in the I Am Chew run. So basically, people, what that means is you don't run over a certain heart rate, and you will not go anaerobic, and you won't borrow, um, you won't write checks, your body can't cash, uh, and just a uh, you know, 20 minutes later. Anyway, uh, the conditions were pretty bad. They say a 25.6 DNF rate, mostly due to heat. I had an awesome swim, bought the parachute you recommended. There's a thing called a swim parachute, super cheap. It is like swimming uphill. It is crazy. It makes you awesome because you're doing basically swim intervals, like running uphill, um, but have not used it yet. I will soon. Um, my swim time was 58.29. Holy crap. Felt awesome. Uh, the bike, you were in my head, exclamation point. I didn't go crazy trying to save some for the run. My fueling on the bike was a lot of what you recommended. I mostly used liquid fuel, uh, three, two hour bottles. I mixed in maltodextrin and Gatorade together and salt in my bottles. I need to try maple syrup still. So maple syrup is really awesome. People, it, um, it's not super fast. It's kind of medium, medium fast. And um, the coolest thing about maple syrup is it's not sticky. It rinses right off and you don't get sticky stuff all over your hands. Uh, so then, and it's all natural. It's got some vitamins and stuff in it. That mix was awesome, exclamation point. I felt super strong through the entire bike. Like I could have gone harder, dot, 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 but reserved some for the run. I also took some honey, stinger waffles, and Excel gel on the bike every hour. Okay, so... Um, this is really smart. Um, if you take some super easy to digest, like, uh, waffles, uh, solid food on, on the bike and on the run, maybe on the run, um, it kind of settles your stomach a little bit. Sometimes we get hungry and your stomach gets weird. Cause it's like, I want something solid, right? So liquid, 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 um, doesn't do it. And then you eat too much of that and then you get sick. So the solid kind of slows things down and, and like, uh, tricks your stomach and the thinking that you're eating real food. Um, but you don't want to do like solid, solid, like nuts. You want to do something like waffles. So uh, about 250 to 300 calories an hour. Cool. Before listening to you, I was willy-nilly on calories. I didn't really have a plan. Just ate solid pieces of fuel an hour. My bike time was 6 hours, 14 minutes, and 56 seconds. That's pretty good. Uh, the run turned out better than expected. I forced myself to use the math method throughout the run, knowing that the heat could get me if I didn't. I never hit a wall and felt great. Before that run, I had only run 16 miles. Let's make sure we're recording. <laughs> there we go. And let's see, where did I leave off? Uh, wow, only 16 miles. And then you went and did this? Holy crap. That's smart. And I, I alternated between water and Gatorade. Heard this from your guest and you at aid stations and ate bananas. My runtime was 509.33. That's really good. Did uh, 12 hours, 12 and a half hours, 12.35.52. Okay, um, the math method. Uh, even before I'd heard about math, I had learned that if you don't let your heart rate go over a certain rate, you really can do something all day long. So if you stay like zone one <laughs> and one and a half, just barely in the zone two, um, you can do amazing things. I had never run more than five zero miles before and I went out and ran a hundred miler and finished in 26 hours I think it was in the um 
a, you know, a trail, an ultra marathon, because I tried to keep my heart rate no higher than 125 or something like that. And that sounds ridiculously easy, but I promise you that's the only way I finished. I finally bonked on mile 92. This is me talking, Brett. And that's how I did it by uh, wearing a heart rate strap and uh, a Sunto one and then um, just going long. <laughs> And uh, anytime I went uphill and my heart rate started climbing, I'd go, well, you're walking. And I never let my heart rate get high. So, yeah, it works. Totally works. You can go way farther and do stuff you've never done before like this person has. Um, so I had an unspoken goal of being a 12-hour mark. Yeah, okay. Age group, 45, 49, 73 out of females. That answers our question right there. Allie's a girl. And 336 overall. Yay. Three exclamation points. I recovered. Awesome. Two exclamation point. No muscle pain. Dot, dot, dot. Only Hot spots on my feet. That is smart. Uh, thank you so much for your show. You make a difference. Exclamation point. If I get a coach, I would love for it to be you. Um, and then Princey's finances won't allow it right now. Single mom. Uh, exclamation point. But for now, I will take your show as my coaching advice. Hey, cool. I tell everybody everything I'm doing. And I'm doing all right. So, um, yeah, just listen to the show. Uh, P.S. I ordered Hornet juice. I didn't get it in time to use at Chattanooga. Uh, too close to the race when I got it. But I do have Ironman North Carolina 70.3 coming up. I'm trying to do that race. You are great. Exclamation point. Keep making the difference. Exclamation point. Okay. Um, the coolest thing about that email, and the reason I wanted to read it first, is if you find that this show helps you out with all the tips that I give out and other people calling in and the guests I have on the show giving tips, you can help support the show, and that keeps the show on the air. My wife... Emily, the fabulous, beautiful Zentri nurse, uh, the last time I t mentioned something about not coaching or, or, or uh, maybe not doing the podcast because I had some other stuff I, had, I needed to do, she said, you are doing that podcast. <laughs> it's helping pay the bills. And I was like, oh, okay. So, uh, uh, and she knows uh, that um, the support coming in is super helpful around the house. Uh, we used it to buy Kai's last bike computer, bought a Lazine. Uh, instead of a Garmin, L-E-Z-Y-N-E, -E, I think. Um, I should do a review on that pretty soon and how it compares to a Garmin by computer. But anyway, um, you can help support the show by going to zentrathlon.com and going over to the sides. There is, if you scroll down, there's a purple and yellow logo for Hornet Juice. And if you buy Hornet Juice through me, you get an email back from me saying it's on its way. And it takes like... It comes from New Zealand, so it takes on average like 10 days. It can take a little bit longer, so you got to remember that. But uh, you get the package from New Zealand, and then um, a little bit, I don't know, like 10% of that or something like that comes off the top to help uh, me at Zentri. And then another way is you can just donate straight to the show. Um, on the other side of the page, there's a like a little PayPal logo, and you want to support the show, you can do a recurring or a one-time donation. And if you do that, and or if you bought Hornet Juice, I've got your email. I know your name. I know I know who you are. And uh, you can send in an email, even with questions or just saying you know things worked out great. And I'll read it on the air. You'll get your name out there on the air, like this. Joseph Deber sent in a recurring donation. Dwayne Morin, uh, Mark Reed, M Webb. We've heard from him recently. Richard Trugo, James Von Hippel, Houston Marsh, dude, Houston. Uh, I met him up at Canada, up in Whistler, and I think he said he's never been to Houston or something like that, which is funny. His parents just named him that. And then uh, Michael Radogna, uh, 
we got an email from Jason. Let's read this real quick. He says, I've been using Hornet juice for several months. This is actually my third order from you. I'm a believer. I ran 18 miles last Sunday and went through two packets, and I still wanted to keep going. I haven't used it for sex, dot, 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 yet, winky face. This Sunday, I'm going to pair it with Gatorade Endurance Formula for my long run since that's what they will be using in New York. And I wrote it back, and I said, man, good luck on that. And yeah, I use Hornet juice myself. Uh, it's an amino acid blend that turns on extra fat burning. So you don't need as much of the sugary stuff and you're for really long workouts or just a little bit of like suppressing your appetite a little bit, trying to lose a little bit of weight. That's what it's for. I always joke like it hasn't been tested officially in the lab for sex. If you want to have endurance sex with Hornet juice, you're on your own. I mean, I guess you could write in and tell us what it's like, but, um, that's not what it's for. And then every time I mention that, that that's not what it's for, then more people buy it. So I don't know what's going on with you weirdos. Okay, Brett Hoyer, the coolest first name in triathlon. Uh, Simon Wright and Favia Katie Joe, John Mulan and Jonathan Woodman and Justice Phillips. How's, how are you doing, Justice? I love that first name. Uh, he is really big. He's young and really big into running ultra uh, marathons and is really good at it. So I'm a, I'm a fan of him being a fan and you all should too. And yeah, so that's um, how you can support Zentry and Hornet Juice orders. And before we get into the training log, I need to mention, um, I think there's like two pieces, like 15 minutes each and I'm, I'm leaving the pool and getting a little bit of swimming tips and stuff. And then at the end I give a bike maintenance tip, but, um, I need to mention, uh, oh, one of the recordings I was trying recording with the Apple headphones, uh, you know, the little inline mic and it, it sounds tinny and crappy. So I'm sorry about that. But the audit, but what I said was actually valuable. So I'm going to leave that in, but believe me, um, after that, it sounds better and we're not going to do that again. So don't worry about it <laughs> being a, being a, a habit. And there was, oh, two other sponsors I wanted to mention. So I've been breaking the sugar habit quite successfully with UCAN. I'm now at the point where I do at least an hour workout with no Gatorade, no sugar, don't need it because I've been using UCAN. And so what I figured out is for me, I do a little bit more than a scoop, like a scoop in a quarter. And then, oh, it's a really, really, really slow acting starch. I do about a scoop in a quarter and then I, um, uh, I need to take it uh, about, I was taking it too close to workouts, like 20, 15 minutes, and it just didn't have time to work. So for me, it's about 30 minutes before I get started on a workout. And then I, um, I wash it down afterwards. And then I bring water with me because if you don't drink enough water with it, it doesn't really make your stomach upset, but you're like, man, I should drink more water with that. So I have now for gosh, a week or two been, um, uh, using just you can during workouts. And I love it because I don't get sugary stuff like Gatorade, maple syrup all over my teeth. I take my fuel, uh, before my workout and then I rinse it down with water. Now my teeth are clean. So the whole cavity issue is uh, not an issue anymore. All the sugary stuff all over your mouth, you know, like trying to make sure you take care of that. Um, it just took a little while for me to figure out how to do it for our workouts. And now that I got it down to an hour, and I'm fine. Like my workers are, are fantastic. Numbers are all exactly the same or better than they were before. And, um, uh, yeah, so you should try it and you can order, uh, you can, let me get, I got a discount code right here. 
as soon as I started figuring out how to use it, I contacted them and I go, man, I want to sell your stuff on the show because um, I'm going to talk about it a lot. And it is 15% off if you when you go by you can uh, with discount code Zentry. And then on top of that, after a workout, I really like Amrita bars. And also I've got one in my pocket. I'm about to go watch Kai's soccer game and I've got an Amrita bar in my pocket um, because I did a workout this morning. If I start to get hungry, I might might eat like half of it. And Amrita bars rock. They are super healthy. They got plenty of fiber to slow it down. It's real fruit, real seeds. Um, they're, uh, non-allergenic. Uh, if you got a nut allergy, they make sure about that, uh, because they use seeds instead of nuts, um, organic ingredients. Um, and then there's a version of it that's higher in protein. So you can use it for a recovery. And actually that's what I, I love the, the, uh, higher protein ones. Um, because for example, I'll swim or I'll, I'll bike or I'll run for an hour and then, you know, um, use the you can before nothing during and then a little while after you finish your workout you're like man i could really use something some carbs you know to kind of top things off get back to normal and i'll eat an amrita bar and um, like that thing where we were saying the waffles during uh, long workouts amrita bars are also really really good for that because even though they're fruits and seed um, they're super easy to digest you just have a nibble every once in a while and it uh, makes your stomach happy and we have a discount code for them they have been a longtime sponsor, and I'm friends with the owner. And he actually says that y'all out there buying so much Amrita stuff through me um, is he just loves Zentri because of how many people buy Amrita stuff. Oh, and they have um, uh, really cool looking kits and socks. I need to get some Amrita socks, uh, cycling kits. I love to wear their cycling kits, and it's like black with a little bit of kind of rainbow colors on it, which is really cool. And Let's see, discount code is ZEN2016, ZEN2016, and I forgot what, what amount, maybe it's 10% off, maybe it's 20, but there's also a, um, oh, you go to AmritaHealthFoods.com, A-M-R-I-T-A, AmritaHealthFoods.com, and there's also an Amrita Club that you can join, and you get 20% off the regular price plus free shipping, and you choose all the bars you want. And if you join the club, you get a free triathlon or cycling top with your order. And like I was saying, their stuff's really cool. So check that out. Okay, so again, uh, you can, and Amrita Bars is where I'm at. Hardly any Gatorade, any of the sugary stuff, if ever. And um, I probably might use that in a race. But right now, just for training, I do not need it. And that's great. I love it. My teeth love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. And... Let's see. Uh, yeah, Zentri 25 for UCAN and Zen 2016 for Amrita Bars. All right, that's it. Let's get on to the training log and finish out the show. Here we go. You are entering the Zentri training log zone. Kuneli. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a triathlete. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise. Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself. All right, let's start another training log. Welcome to it. All right, start date. October 11th, leaving the pool. On my way to W to the ERK to get some work done at the day job. 
Oh man, lots of little things been uh, working on. I've been doing um, bilateral swimming and timing myself to see which one's faster. You know, uh, swimming alternating sides, breathing or breathing on one side. And you got to be careful whenever you try to compare times doing one thing or the other because you'll naturally be faster at the thing that you've been doing the longest. There's a um, there's a school thought with that with cycling, where uh, switching cranks. Say, well, I'm faster with these cranks than I am with those cranks. Uh, crank length, like 175. They measure them in millimeters. 175 millimeter, 172.5, 170 millimeters. Uh, it's the crank arm length. And actually, studies show that you're fastest with the one that you've been using. <laughs> and you can't compare, you know, within the same day. You got to use the other ones a little bit and then uh, see if you're faster over time. Uh, Andy Potts got uh, crap for um, uh, going into doing uh, triathlons, long distance triathlon, and putting uh, different crank arm lengths on his bike for. Um, than his training bike, different crank arm lengths on his race bike than on his training bike, because there's all these photos of pros all the time training, and then you can see uh, what they're using, and uh, his response was, well, I was just using what my sponsors gave me, <laughs> and uh, just goes to show, you got to pay attention, pay attention, so uh, bilateral breathing is, um, you can't take as many breaths, so you kind of slow your turnover down, but because you're not taking as many breaths, your head's not popping up, therefore you're more streamlined. So at first you may be slower, but in the long run you may be faster, so I'm just kind of paying attention to my time. I'll do a set, 300 yards doing it, 300 yards not doing it, and then noticing how I feel, and doing it with the pool boy. Um, I've noticed that doing it with the pool boy, um, which is that foam thing you put between your legs to isolate your kick and streamline your body to practice not moving the lower half of your body and being streamlined, that I get, um, let me make sure this thing's recording, hold on, you never know, it's the biggest waste, yeah, there we go, to think you're recording and then not me, the, um, when I breathe on my left side and then when I swing my right arm and then follow up with a breath on the left side, whatever I'm doing causes a hitch in my um, right a rotator cuff, and I've had old injuries in there, and um, so there's like a, a piece of cartilage or something catching, and it hurts. So I got to be really careful. I got to figure that out and be uh, gentle over time, and make sure if I'm careful, it doesn't happen. And it's a flexibility thing too. You're trying to overpower your inflexibility by doing weird stuff, and then uh, you're putting extra torque in places that your body's not used to it. Um, I'm normally a uh, one-sided, uh, right-sided breather. And then also had a uh, really, really good workout doing the chocolate you can. Man, <laughs> I figured out that I just wasn't taking enough of it. I mean, for now. One scoop is like 80, 90 calories. I need about 120 or something like that right now. And uh, yeah, when I do that, man... For, that's for like an hour swim, um, like 3,500 yards or something like that. And when I do that, it's uh, it's a wonderful thing. I have a, 
I have plenty of energy for an hour plus. It's really good stuff. Um, and chocolate. Thank you, uh, Darby, for being on the last episode <laughs> and saying, uh, you know, chocolate is, uh, is one of her favorites. And I got to say, that's the flavor I bought. I bought chocolate and I bought orange. And the first thing I did this morning is I had a cup of coffee. I had two cups of coffee. I always have two cups of coffee, though. And then um, had a, a drink you can on the way to the pool. And finished it before I got to the pool. And then by the time I got dressed and got in the water, I was cruising along and felt really good. So we've got a discount code for you uh, can. It's uh, Zentry. And that gets you 15% off. Because, and you want that. You want to use that discount code. Because you can is expensive. Except that you don't use that much of it. And then you get to the point where you hardly ever use it. So go ahead and get it. Don't, don't be like, man, that's too expensive. I don't want to buy it. And uh, because you don't use anywhere near as much of it as uh, you would think. Um, yeah, so I'm, at, I'm here at work. Got to get some stuff done. And, oh, the other thing. Um, I've been binge listening to a podcast that's really good. Uh, the product, Productivity... <laughs> the productivityist, productivityist, productivityist. Anyway, um, it's a guy. He interviews uh, people and about how to be more productive, and it's all these. And these are all like experts and stuff. And productivity is a really difficult problem with triathlon. And also, if you do triathlon, you might be type A and ADD and trying to do a million things. So this helps you um, get stuff. Uh, uh, it gives you ideas on things you can try. And the idea I'm going to try is just to have one list. Well, no, you have an inbox, you have a task list, and then you have a reference list. And you can kind of move things from one to the other. And um, But to use tags instead of folders or projects. And, you know, you tag, use a tag for a project. And um, there's apps like Workflowy and uh, DynaList, D-Y-N-A, dynalist.io that um, you can make long lists with subtasks all stuff, other stuff it's just bulleted lists and if you make tags in there all you got to do is click on the tag and it makes everything else disappear except for things with those tags so you're like a tag called three important things now and you go and you, you or things I want to do today or you can tag it like uh, vacation uh, all tasks with vacation. And then you're like, man, I want to work on uh, my next vacation and what I need to do. Or Iron Man um, Whistler uh, 2017 is a tag. And it's like everything in there, you can you can do that. And when you're done with it, you can just move it all to reference. It's kind of cool. So anyway, it's, it's rare that I find a podcast worth binge listening to. And um, this is one of them. So I thought I would recommend it. All right, I got to go. Talk to you all later. Out, bang. Hello? Hello? Alright. More training log. Leaving the uh, pool again. <laughs> Always seems to be leaving the pool. Let's see, I uh, had a busy weekend with Kai. I mentioned on the last show as he's getting older, uh, having to do and enjoying to do um, more and more stuff with him. Uh, dad, father, son stuff, and we went out to the, uh, the land that the Boy Scout uh, ranch, the local Boy Scout ranch is on, and helped 
it was a troop activity, Boy Scout troop, uh, clear land and improve the campsite uh, for the next weekend. We're going to have a big camp out where they recruit more Boy Scouts and we were um, trimming back jungle growth pretty much and uh, I saw Kai, um, well we pulled up and these branches and stuff were scratching the car as we pulled in for like a quarter of a mile down this Jeep road and I said, uh, well we got there and all the boys were doing stuff but mostly just kind of standing around and uh, the younger boys kind of had their finger up their noses because they don't really know what, what to do so they're just going to sit around and um I thought, you know, a really good thing to do would be to cut back the brush that's um, making travel down this road difficult. So I grabbed Kai with me, and I thought, I'll show him how to do some real work, <laughs> real yard work. And uh, we both got uh, brush clippers, bush clippers, and went to work. And for an hour and a half in the heat of the day, the middle of the day, and it's uh, 90, low 90s, high humidity um, out there right now, uh, off and on shade, uh, we went to work and man, I got blisters on my hands and my uh, upper body. My arms got real nice and sore. I could feel it the next day. So that was really cool. And uh, Kai actually enjoyed it. We put music on the phone and brought uh, ice water with us and just had some nice father-son time doing that. And then uh, he had a soccer game and also uh, before that, actually. And then on the, uh, man, you know, doing long course triathlon, you learn all about, uh, food is mood and fueling and stuff. And I made sure after his soccer game, but before we went, uh, cutting brush to have a nice lunch, you know, and then to grab some, uh, cold water and some ice so that we could stay cool while we were working. And it made all the difference in the world. It made the work actually, uh, enjoyable. And if you did the opposite, you just kind of went out there and just started working you'd be miserable and you never want to go do it again. And you wouldn't know why. But uh, food is mood. So then we um, went mountain biking that night. Uh, the local uh, hippie uh, land mountain biking area is, uh, they have like veggie gardens. And, yeah, it's, it's cool. They have a, a, a fall festival with pumpkin throwing with the catapults, trebuchets. And we went out there and went mountain biking. And... I gave Kai a water bottle of half Gatorade, half water. And, and I told him that's what I gave him. And we mountain biked for an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes at a pretty good speed. And he never lost energy. And we just uh, stopped and took a sip. We only stopped for a few seconds. Took a sip, a glug of the, um, of the fuel every uh, 10 minutes and I got him a Lazine bike computer and I would ask him every once in a while even though I knew what time it was because I'm wearing my Sunto uh, Spartan Ultra I'd say uh, how long has it been and uh, so that way he's telling me how far uh, we've gone time wise and towards the end I said oh it was getting dark on us and I said uh how you doing? You all right? He's like, yeah, I feel great. And that's, uh, that's months of training of getting him to drink and me figuring out what he'll, what he'll actually enjoy drinking. 
um, fuel along the way. And 50-50 Gatorade in water is actually pretty smart because straight Gatorade will kind of make you sick, especially if it's hot. And uh, watering it down um, slows it down, uh, makes it more of a trickle, makes you less dependent on it. And uh, so that was really cool. And we hung around and there was a live band and, you know, craziness. Absolutely crazy. Crazy, crazy out there. And then the next, we went home and went to sleep. It's only a 15-minute drive from our house. And the next morning, got up. I got on the trainer and did a quick bike ride for an hour. And then we got our stuff together and went back for the rest of the festival. The restable of the festival. And... Uh, Kai didn't want to mountain bike that time. He just wanted to... Um, oh, because we were running a couple days before that. And he hasn't been running, running in a while. Uh, and we ran three and a half miles and ran one of the dogs, uh, which was pretty cool. And so his legs were kind of sore. So he didn't... Uh, he just wanted to ride with other kids out there and not really ride the mountain bike course. And so we brought his bike out and he rode with his other so I went out and did the mountain bike course again, and this is the uh, Zen Flow moment of the show. The uh, interesting thing was, I have this problem with I have a Jameis Durango, and it's kind of a cheap mountain bike. It's very cheap, and uh, the wheels are just you know bottom of the line, just junk wheels, and the front wheel has, and the rear wheel too, actually. Uh, they. They're, they fall apart at the hubs and they get wobbly in the frame and hold on just a second so with the wobbly front wheel um, you start to take a turn on soft stuff like sand and dirt and or hit a root or whatever the wheel turns more than you would expect it to and that can crash you and also uh, the rear wheel being wobbly uh, was making both of both of the wheels uh, have disc brakes and they were making weird sounds that sounded like they were tearing up the brakes, uh, just not good, <laughs> and I had, like, when it started acting like that, um, and I've taken it in before to get fixed, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence of what to do about this, get, uh, get the wheels, replace the wheels, or get a whole new bike, because sinking money into kind of a crappy bike is not smart, but the, uh, I don't have money for a whole new bike, but the, uh, The interesting thing is, um, you're out there in the woods, so now you're in a dire situation where you can't, um, I mean, it's like, should I walk it back or should I just keep riding? I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to try to ride keeping the bike in a flow and nice and even, um, and not turn too sharply and also try not to use the brakes too much. And this is on a very technical uh, mountain bike course. And uh, just tons and tons and tons of turns. Tons of turns. I had somebody comment on it on Strava, looking at the map, and go, oh my God, I've never seen so many turns on a mountain bike course. And so this is extremely challenging. And I found that um, this one handicap self-imposed handicap made my, um, made by trying to ride differently than before, not only was I, uh, was the bike, uh, holding together, it's kind of like flying a busted up plane, you know, you're just trying to keep it together <laughs> to get it back and don't kill yourself, but back to the airport, 
and putting all my rings after the swim here. And the um, I, fa- I felt in a way I was going faster, and I was actually learning to use my momentum to get me through dips and climbs and uh, and turns without uh, using my brakes as much. And it was actually conserving energy. And I felt like I may even be going faster. And there's two things that, you know, clue you in that that's definitely a possibility. Is uh, recently on YouTube, I saw a video of a guy with, uh, I think he used to be a pro downhill mountain biker. And he got injured. Who knows? Uh, car wreck or bike wreck. I don't know. But he's um, he has no more use of his legs. He's still got his legs, but um, they put him on a bike and put him on, uh, pushed him, gave him a push start down this mountain bike course during a real race, and he either broke the record or beat everybody else. I don't, I'm not sure which. I was just kind of blown away by this by this thing. Without being able to pedal, he was just using his momentum uh, to get through uh, the turns. And other people, when they slowed down, they would um, you have to pedal to speed back up. And this guy had learned that if he slows down, he's going to have to speed back up. And he can't because he can't pedal. And he um, he learned to brake less and use his momentum to push through the turns and, and keep his momentum up and actually win. He even one time crashed and they there was a crowd at the turn and they put him on back on his bike and shoved him back to <laughs> get him going again. And he was loving it. Like he was laughing his ass off about how well he was doing. And also, um, Mario Andretti, the you know famous race car driver, is quoted as as saying and teaching others to um, you want to keep your momentum through the turns. You want to be on the edge of losing control, but it's the smoothest driver that actually wins the race. And that's you know, something to remember. How did he get so smooth? Did he practice in cars that had compromised uh, brakes? <laughs> so he had to learn. But anyway, um, keeping up momentum and going with the flow on mountain biking is, uh, uh, and not slowing down, uh, seemed to be uh, faster. And I compared it to another ride, and it was faster. And the, um, and it was definitely more enjoyable way, way more enjoyable. So, um, yeah, sometimes, uh, one, go, go with the flow and, and, and ride it out and don't try to slow down so much, lean into it. And also, um, don't view every, uh, problem as, you know, uh, an ultimate problem. Uh, there's a, when, when you finally find your way around the problem, you're going to find a better way of, uh, doing things and improving, so, I'm really enjoying it, except now I'm stuck with the uh, problem of, you know, do I get a whole new bike, <laughs> and the problem, the real problem is, is the bike shop has a, an awesome bike that they want to almost, uh, give me it just like a, a hundred bucks above, uh, their cost, which is insane, but it's still too much money, and the, uh, or do I sink money into this old bike, um, with some just kind of okay wheels to make it limp along. And, um, because the biggest problem is, uh, I'm not the only cyclist in the family that needs to, uh, have a bike. Uh, Kai is growing and we're going to have to get him new bikes. So I got to sacrifice my own, um, interests 
to um, make sure that he's got good stuff to keep him improving because he wants to be on the, um, there's a local mountain biking team uh, for school, and we want to make sure he's got a good enough bike to keep up on that. Ugh, it's killing me. And just when I figure out this decision, you know, there'll be another one. That's the way the world works. All right, that's it. Got to get into W to the ERK out. All right, everybody, let's wrap up this show. I'm just leaving uh, Freebirds, Freebirds World Burrito. Um, I do uh, some races with their logos on my stuff. So if there's one in your area, go check them out. They're super, super cool. Um, Habanero, Habanero peppers. You got to try it out. Anyway, uh, before we wrap up the show, I want to leave you with a couple of, uh, or one big tip of advice, something that about wrecked my bike. And I was like, holy crap, I need to remind everybody to do this. Uh, I was uh, trying to adjust the saddle height, the seat height, seat post height on my new Trek. I had a Trek that's like, I don't know, five months old or something like that, four months old. Um, Maybe not even that much. I got it just like a month before I did Whistler, uh, Ironman Canada. And I was trying to adjust the seat height and the, the seat post wouldn't move up or down. And I was like, well, that's weird. Um... There's no way it's become bonded uh, from rust, from uh, oxide. It's an aluminum post, and uh, I've got the 7.5 Trek. The uh, 9 point whatever has a carbon post. Mine has an aluminum post. Actually, the bike shop said they like the aluminum post better because they can clamp on it without worrying about breaking it when they're working on the bike. And anyway, um, aluminum on carbon... Aluminum on a lot of things. You get sweat and water on the seat post, it starts to um, oxide. It starts to rust. And aluminum rust is kind of white looking. Um, Like blisters and rusts. And even though it's got paint on it, it'll start doing that. And it does that. And it will try to weld itself. The electrical uh, conduction of uh, material in there. And from the salt and the sweat and the ion exchange, stuff starts to weld itself in there. And it took me three or four days of hammering on my seat post, uh, shaking it, and doing all kinds of nasty, ugly things, uh, dripping oil and uh, things into the seat post area to try to let it um, dissolve that stuff overnight. Three days... And probably an hour each day of, of working on the seat post to finally... It took one day to get it to move. It took two days, I think, to get it to move a millimeter. But once I knew I got it to move, that it's not bonded anymore. And uh, that um, I could uh, keep moving it. And I was so mad and so frustrated that it's... Uh, Something that I couldn't believe how fast it happened on that bike. So my reminder is, um, I think it takes, they said, man, it didn't take my bike very long. If you live someplace where uh, you get sweat and ride your bike outside and, uh, you know, on the seat post maybe, and uh, put a reminder on your calendar. That's, this is what I'm doing once a month to move my seat post um, any direction, up, down, whatever, and then uh, to make sure that things aren't uh, bonding to each other. And 
One easy way to do that is you can put a rubber band around your seat post after you do it once. You put a rubber band around your seat post and, um, or you put a piece of tape at where your seat post is entered all the way down um, into the frame. And then that way you can easily uh, get your seat post back to where it's supposed to be. And it's a, it's a thing of maintenance because it about ruined my frame for me to have this problem. I couldn't believe it. I've never had a seat post do that that fast. It's re- very unusual. So, um, yeah, put a reminder on your calendar to move your seat post and actually um, loosen and tighten a lot of your different bolts that you're kind of worried about before uh, things go bad. Anyway, that's it. Everybody stay safe out there. Uh, let's watch ourselves as we start heading into the North American winter. And uh, I'm so glad it's not going to be hot anymore here in Texas. It's starting to cool off. And let's look forward to the next episode. Uh, stay safe out there. Work the uphills. Cruise the downhills. And keep the rubber side down out. Bang! Oh, my God.